Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. He is wonderful. All praises be to the King of kings. He is the King of kings, the great I am. And it will be around his throne that we will shout hallelujah to the King of kings and to the Lord of lords. Worthy is the lamb that was slain. Hallelujah, both now and forevermore. And when I say forevermore, I mean ever, evermore. Forever and ever and ever. He is the Alpha and the Omega. Worthy of our praise. Worthy of our adoration. And worthy of our gratitude this morning. Amen. Let us give the Lord just a hand clap of praise this morning. Amen. Thank you to our praise team. Wonderful. Wonderful. And good morning to you, Forrest, and happy new year once again. And welcome to each and every one of you to this church gathered at Forrest Baptist. And as we come to the end of another year, the end of the, 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 end of the year uh, always provides an opportunity for reflection. So as we think back on 2021 and think through and how the Lord brought us through situations, circumstances, and we consider his protection, his provision, uh, we consider things like how we have grown, how, may we, how we may have fallen short, but I believe it's a, it's a means of grace that the Lord allows us to reflect upon the year we are coming out of, but then also uh, th there's a means of grace to reflect upon the beginning of a new year. Because as we do begin the new year, it is an opportunity for new beginnings. Not merely uh, New Year's resolutions, but new opportunities to be pleasing before the Lord. New opportunities to pursue him with reckless abandonment. New opportunities to serve one another. New opportunities to show forth the glory of Christ wherever you may go. New opportunities to be an influence for the kingdom of heaven here on earth, new opportunities to be ambassadors of reconciliation, new opportunities to go ye therefore and make disciples, new opportunities to make much of Jesus in all that we do. And that is my prayer for us as a family, as a church that we would embrace this season of new beginnings and new opportunities. As the Apostle Paul said, uh, not looking back on things that have passed, I press forward to the mark. And beloved, some, some of us are going to have to let some things go, some, some disappointments, some failures, some, some situations and sins that we may have fallen in. It, the Lord says, press forward. We have that new opportunity, this new beginning. We confess our sins and we press forward. So again, my desire is that we as a church would embrace this new beginnings as force moves forward. And I firmly believe 
the key for us to move forward is that we would move forward together. So with this in mind, I want you to grab your copy of God's word and turn with me to Ephesians, the fourth chapter. We'll be reading verses 1 through 16, but specifically I'll be focusing on verses 11 through 16 as we cover our theme for 2022. And as we've been mentioning uh, previously, our theme for 2022 is growing deeper together. Growing deeper together. If you have it, if you would, please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word. Ephesians, the fourth chapter, beginning with verse 1. This is the word of God. Please hear the voice of Christ. I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. In saying he descended, what does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions, the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens, that he might fill all things. Verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, rather speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. May the Lord add a blessing to the reading of his word. You may be seated. Why don't you pray with me this morning as we consider our theme once again, growing deeper together. Oh, Father, which art in heaven, indeed, blessed be your name. Father, hallelujah to your name. For you are great, you are awesome, you are faithful, and your steadfast love endures forever. The Lord, thank you for your great faithfulness to us. For as the psalmist declares, what is man that you are mindful of him? Lord, who are we really for you to care for us like you do? Who are we really 
for you to give us the greatest gift of all, your only begotten son, to die upon Calvary's cross that we would have the opportunity to be saved and redeemed. Father, what is man that you are mindful of him that when we confess our sins and trust in you that you that you not only dwell with us, you dwell in us. Transforming us from the inside out, conforming us to the image of Christ. What is man? Lord, we thank you for your great love. We thank you for such a great salvation. We thank you for such a great sacrifice. We thank you for allowing us to gather this first Sunday of 2022, Lord. This day was not promised. It was not guaranteed. May we not take for granted the assembly of your people. And Father, as we gather even now, I pray that you will pour out your Holy Spirit in such a way that we will experience your presence, that you would renew hearts, that you would give sight to the blind, you would give hearing to the deaf, and you would bring somebody, transforming them from, uh, from death to life. And Father, help us to be your people, the church, as we seek to grow deeper together in this mission you have given us to go ye therefore to make disciples. Once again, kind, kind Father, we thank you. We bless you. In Jesus' name we do pray. And all of God's people say it together. Amen. Amen. You know, I've always uh, been a fan of, of, of all sports. I love watching, love playing sports. Um, growing up, I loved watching volleyball. We would have a, a family team, and we would play in a rec league every year. So uh, I really enjoy playing volleyball, but it hasn't been until just like recently where I really got into volleyball, and primarily because uh, First Lady Red, she coaches uh, volleyball over at Newburgh Middle School, and, and two of our girls are involved in volleyball right now. So, so it's not just like I just kind of watch and play the sport, but I'm I'm getting familiar with the positions and the strategy, and I'm getting real deep into it. And we had the opportunity probably a few months ago to go watch the University of Louisville uh, women's team play in a volleyball match. It was their last match of the, the season. They were, all, they were undefeated, ranked number one in the country. And when I, say, when I say athletes and skill, they was balling. Bump set, spike, blocks. I mean, it was, it was exciting. And it was in that moment where I really came to, to fully realize that volleyball is like the ultimate team sport. Just in the way that it's structured, you have six players on the court at a time. Each person has a distinct job to do. And the structure of how the game has been shaped and the rules are formed, where there you are allowed three hits on your side, so you want to take advantage as much as possible of the hits that you get before it goes to the other side, right? So, so there's uh, the bump, the set, and the spike uh, in order to try to get points. And, and on the court, like I said, there, there are players with all different roles. You have the setter, uh, the person who, who puts the ball, the second hit to where it needs to go. You have 
your defensive specialists, you have your outside hitters, you got your middle blockers, you have your libero who plays the back. So, so I'm, I'm learning, I'm getting all into this, and, and I'm saying, if one of those six people on the court fails to do their job, the entire team loses. It is the ultimate team sport. You cannot have success as a volleyball team if you don't all play together. Every single person is needed. And what was also so encouraging, even the players who weren't on the floor at the time, they weren't sitting on the bench, kind of just kind of clapping. They were standing up. They were shouting. They had cheers. And they were they were encouraging those who were on the floor. And, 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 and when someone failed or when someone missed a hit, that's okay, you'll get it next time. And I'm realizing that every single person on that team played a part. See, volleyball is the type of sport that no one player can dominate by themselves, right? It's not like you could put Michael Jordan on the volleyball court and he could just dominate the game. It, it doesn't work like that. It's not even like baseball where you may have a top-notch pitcher who pitches a no-hitter and leads their team to a win, or, or even a batter who every time they come up, they hit a home run and score points. It's not like that in volleyball. Someone bumps the ball, someone sets the ball, and someone spikes the ball in order for the team to get the win. No one person could do it by themselves. And beloved, contrary to popular belief, and excuse the metaphor, the Christian life is the ultimate team sport. And I say that because many actually think the Christian life is something you do on your own all by yourself. No Christian can do it all by themselves. No Christian can supply all of their own needs. It is the lone wolf lifestyle in Christianity that, that leads to so many harmful things in, in our lives. It's that lone wolf Christian lifestyle will lead to loneliness because you're by yourself and uh, you, you're saying, don't nobody understand me. Don't nobody gets it. I feel like I'm all by myself. Or uh, that lone wolf Christian lifestyle can, can easily lead to a lot of insecurity because, like, I wonder what people think about me. I wonder how they, uh, how they perceive me. That, that type of lifestyle can lead to, to, to self-deception where you actually think you're better off than what you really are. You just deceive yourself. But... One of the most significant problems that lone wolf Christian lifestyle will lead to is a sense of pride that you have it all together and that you don't need anyone to speak into your life anymore. Beloved, it's that individualistic type of, of, of lifestyle that leads to a stunted spiritual growth because we have been created for community. That's why. We have been created to, to be with one another, to, uh, to be in one another's lives. So why do we need to do this together? It's because 
Jesus has sovereignly ordained the Christian life to be lived out together. I can give you a a number of different reasons, but it it should all stop right there because Jesus said so. And he says that uh, even in himself, the, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit in communion with themselves from eternity past, always in this this community always pointing to the other and, and, and chopping it up like that. That is how our lives should be towards one another. And that is the message of the text that is before us today. And our big idea is simply, you will grow up in your faith as we each grow deeper in our faith together. It's basically you win when we win. And we win when you win. Because Christianity is the ultimate team sport. You will grow up in your faith as we each grow deeper in our faith together. See, in the text, what Paul has been walking through in the first three chapters of Ephesians, this letter he has written to the church in Ephesus, is about just who they are in Christ Jesus, their position in Christ Jesus, what he has accomplished, and how he has uh, destroyed the, the hostility between Jew and Gentile and both Jew and Gentile now can come before uh, before God in Christ Jesus, and they are fully accepted because of what Jesus has accomplished. And and as he's explaining these things, though he is writing this letter to a a local church, lowercase c, he is also writing to the universal church, uppercase c. All of the saints who have ever come and lived, all of the uh, are the believers that are in Asia, that are in Africa right now. He's talking about the, the, the local church and the universal church. And what he's saying, he's reminding them that since Jew and Gentile now have oneness in Christ, we should have a sense of unity as the body of Christ. Right? In verse 3, he says, as the body of Christ, what? what? We are to be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. So not just these stragglers out by themselves, we are to be unified. But not only that, he talks about our oneness in Christ. There is one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. So in all of those who may have identified themselves as Jew and Gentile, now because of Jesus Christ, we have been made one. But Paul goes on because he understands when he is speaking about their unity, he wants to remind them also of their diversity. Because it's the combination of their unity and diversity, that is what is going to strengthen and grow them as the church. And again, this is how Jesus has sovereignly ordained for us to go as Christians. In our unity, there's a diversity of gifts. In our unity, there's a a diversity of experiences, but yet we find our collective identity in Christ. So quickly, Lord willing, (laughs) I want to give us four reasons why it takes the entire church to grow deeper together. Four reasons why the church grows deeper together. The first reason, I believe, is the church grows deeper together because of the gifts Jesus gives. This is verse 11, and he says, And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers. When we consider the scriptures, 
we know from texts like Romans 12 that there are many gifts dispersed about the body of Christ. So you know, we see that in Romans 12. We see it in 1 Corinthians 12, uh, 1 Peter 4. Let me, let me just read. Follow me to Romans the 12th chapter so I can give you an illustration. I don't want you just to believe me just because I'm saying it. Romans the 12th chapter, beginning with verse 6. Well, actually, let me back up to 5. Romans the 12th chapter, beginning with verse 5. And it says, so we, talking about the body of believers, the church, Christians, though many are one body in Christ and individually members one of another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, the one who teaches in his teaching, the one who exhorts in his exhortation, the one who contributes in generosity, the one who leads with zeal, the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. So over and over again, we see that every single Christian has been given a spiritual gift, but that spiritual gift is not for ours to ourselves. That spiritual gift is actually for one another. The Lord has gifted me, not for me, but he's gifted me for you. And the Lord has gifted you, not for you, but he's gifted you for me. And that's how it works. We're, so we're working together. So when we think about the spiritual gifts given to the church, we think about those individual specific gifts. But what Paul is actually talking about here is another type of gift. And these gifts are actually people in the church, given to the church. And he's saying apostles have been given to the church as gifts. Who are their apostles? The disciples of Jesus, those who have, who have uh, were eyewitnesses to uh, Jesus' earthly ministry, those who would uh, be foundational in the writing and the communica uh, uh, communicating of the scriptures from church. And, and they were the ones going around preaching and teaching the good news where, where Jesus says in Matthew 28, now go ye therefore and make disciples. Now the, the apostles went and began preaching and teaching and making disciples, taking everything that Jesus has taught them. They began writing scripture and, and, and using uh, the scriptures uh, and these letters passed from church to church as the foundation. This is what he talks about in Ephesians 2. 1, 2. The foundation of the church being the apostles, Christ Jesus himself being the chief cornerstone. Yeah, that's two. So everything that we have is built upon the apostles, that, that solid foundation of teaching and doctrine, the apostles. But not only have, has the church been gifted apostles, we've been, the church has been given prophets. Now, honestly, I, when I was just glancing at that, I immediately thought to the Old Testament prophets. I, I went to like Moses and I went to uh, 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 like Ezekiel and Jeremiah and Isaiah. I went to the prophets who would go and speak on God's behalf to the people. And I believe that he is talking about that in, in, in a sense that uh, based upon the Old Testament law and, the, uh, and how the people of God were to be set apart, that, that, that was a gift to the church to, to look back upon. But however, in the New Testament, we see that there were a few people actually called prophets in the New Testament. If we were to look at Acts the 15th chapter, you see that Judas and Silas are called prophets. So it's more so in the sense of those who, so based upon the foundation they received from the apostles, now they're going out and they're proclaiming 
the good news. They're proclaiming the gospel. They're proclaiming these truths about who Jesus is. So, so as they're coming into these churches, Paul is saying, they're a gift to you. Not only apostles and prophets, but he says evangelists. In Acts, the 21st chapter, we see, uh, I believe it's Philip, the evangelist. And this is like more so the work of an itinerant uh, preacher, one who goes around preaching and teaching from town to town, not, not so much staying in one place for a long period of time, but, but someone who has the gospel in their pocket and they are willing to go anywhere, anytime to make sure the good news of Jesus Christ is distributed to those who are, have ears to hear. Yes, Acts, the 21st chapter, verse 8, talks about Philip the evangelist. But then lastly, shepherds and teachers. So that, that would be more so this, this word shepherds is literally pastors. Pastors and teachers, people in the, in the local church, that the daily grind, the, the, I, I see you Sunday after Sunday, or at that time, uh, uh, they, 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 they would see you on a regular basis, and they would shepherd and teach, and this is what the Lord says, and this is how we should live. So all of those together are a gift to the church, but when you look at it individually, you're like, man, well, like, what kind of gift is that? The gift that God has given to the church, the, this focus is not so much on the offices, but their ministry. And the gift Paul is pointing to is the gift of the proclamation and teaching ministry of the local church. That's what he's talking about. That God, in his kindness, has given the church people who would preach and teach his word on a regular basis, that we would see Jesus. And if, though, and if that is the primary gift that Jesus has given to the church, then we can't have any other reputation but to be a church known for the proclamation and teaching of God's word. We may be good at the food pantry, but I don't want everybody around town to know us for our food pantry. We may be good at hosting funerals, but I don't want everybody around town just uh, sticking our reputation. Oh, you know, for they show, they do, they throw a good repast. Now, I don't want people just to know us, but I, I, I want people to know that Forest Baptist Church is a place that teaches and preaches the unadulterated word of God. That has to be our foundation. There's no other, all other ground is sinking sand. And if Jesus has given this teaching ministry to the church, then we should boast about it. We should be happy about it. We should have come in and like, oh, preacher, he's going to preach for two hours today. Uh, man, you know, I'm back. And we should be excited that the word of God is going out. If we really believe the scriptures where it says and the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, we should be standing up under the preached word and say, Lord, cut me up. Cut me up. Cut it out. Take it away. Like a surgeon with a scalpel. Cut all that sinfulness away. Cut all that bitterness out. 
Cut all that wickedness away. Cut all that depression and unbelief and frustration. Cut it out, Jesus. But the only way we have to get on that surgical table, that altar, and lay down our lives and let the word cut us up and heal us up. Because as quick as it cuts, it says it's double-edged. The other side of it heals you. When you're down and you're, and you're down and you're out and you don't know where to go, you, the word of God says weeping may last for a night, but joy comes in the morning. And he reminds us that, lo, I am with you always to the end of the earth. And, and he reminds you that no weapon formed against you shall prosper. So it cuts on one side, but it heals on the other side. And he's reminding us through his word that whom the Son sets free is free indeed. You don't have to stay up under that yoke of bondage. You don't have to stay in that relationship. You don't have to hold on to that sin. Jesus says you're free. This is the gift to the local church. So one of the questions that we need to be asking ourselves is, Am I a grateful recipient of God's gift of preaching and teaching in the local church? Mm. How can we tell if we're grateful? How can you tell if you're grateful to receive preaching and teaching? And, and, and hear this, I'm not saying at all, unequivocally, that it's my preaching and teaching. At all. This ain't about me at all. This is about the word of God going forth. So, when you're grateful for something, how do you act when you receive it? Whew. When you receive, when you receive, when you just got that nice Christmas gift that you've been asking for, did you receive it and your arms was folded like this? Did you receive it with a scowl on your face? But when we receive something we're grateful for, there's a joy. There's a happiness. There's a, how did I ever live without it in the first place? And there's a, just a deep, abounding gratitude for what God has done. When we're grateful for a gift, and I'm about to move, but when we're grateful for a gift, we don't, we don't take the gift and go sit on the kitchen table and then go about our day. <laughs> do we do that? When we're grateful for a gift, we get that bad boy and we open it up right away. Beloved, don't take what God has given you each Sunday and just set it on your kitchen table. You need to open up what God has given you into your daily life every day. As soon as we walk up out of here, as soon as we, as soon as we say bump your neighbor, the word of God should to transform us in such a way that we're different. So the church grows together because of the gifts of Jesus, but secondly, the church grows together because of the gold Jesus gives. And he gives us a particular goal for this preaching in verses 12 and 13. See, the gifts of preaching and teaching has a purpose in the church. We don't just do it to hear ourselves talk, right? We don't want to just puff ourselves up and say, we, we teach the word of God here. No, there's a purpose. In verse 12, the purpose is to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. The whole purpose 
of the proclamation and teaching of God's word is that we would grow. So, so when it says equip the saints for the work of ministry, it's not a, a sense that there's disorder or that there's like something wrong. What he's, what he's saying is that, uh, like Paul says, it, I, I, I've come to fill up what is lacking in you. So as a Christian, it's not that we're wrong, but as we grow in Christ, he's filling us up more and more and more. So that, so that level of, of uh, understanding is, is always growing and growing and growing. He's filling us up more and more. So that's what he's saying, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ. It's, in a sense, it is a preparation to be released for duty. That's what it is. The church is a training ground. It's like a spiritual academy. You get your drills and your exercise here, so when you go out there, you're ready and equipped. We don't just come in here and do our exercises and our, our, our yoga. And we, we don't come in here and do it and say, okay, I had a good time. No, we come in here, we, get, we, we take our notes, okay, yeah. And then, oh yeah, yeah, and then how do I do that? And then we chop it up with one another. It's like, when you're in this situation, uh, and what is the Lord doing? And, and, and then we, we get that in here, and then we go out. The work of ministry. What is this work? This work is the making of disciples, right? But it's easy to say we should go ye therefore and make disciples, and not talk about how to make disciples. Making disciples is about making relationships. Godly relationships and pointing someone to Jesus. It, what, isn't that our definition of how to make a disciple? Is one disciple of Jesus telling another disciple of Jesus more about Jesus. <laughs> That's it. But when you think about the tangible results of that, I'm reminded of, you don't have to turn, but I'm reminded of Matthew, the 25th chapter. Jesus is talking about the parable of the sheep and the goats. And he says, how, how, like, how, how would you be able to discern the sheep from the goats? He says, the sheep, the ones who hear my voice, the ones who follow me, this is what, this is what I'm going to say to them. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. He, he's not saying I'm going to, uh, to make a disciple, you give them a theological treatise. He says, no, you meet the need of where they are. I was hungry. I didn't give them clothes when they was hungry. I gave them food. I was thirsty. I didn't give them a, 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 a systematic theology book, I gave them water. I, I was a stranger. I was all by myself. And you didn't come by and be like, oh, I'm going to pray for you. And you welcomed me. The, to make disciples is, is we look to meet the needs of one another. And as, as you grow and as we grow in our understanding of the scriptures through preaching and teaching, it will cause us to love others more. This was getting at verse 13. Verse 13, uh, until we all attain to the unity of faith 
and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood quickly. But what Paul is saying is that this is, this is an ongoing process. You don't arrive as a Christian. You continue to grow as a Christian. And, and I like how he says, until we all attain. So it's not like half the class passes and we're fine with that because if only half the class passes, that means the other half fails. He said, no, we're concerned about everybody until we all attain. We're going to work together like, like the military, leave no man behind. We're going to all work together to build ourselves uh, up together in Christ to mature manhood. Maturity is like wisdom. It's not complete and perfect knowledge. It's being able to make the right godly decisions at the right time for the right reasons. That's what it means to be mature. But look at the standard. Who's the standard? To the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Mm. You need to keep growing until you look exactly like Jesus. And if you don't look exactly like Jesus, then you need to keep growing. And beloved, on this side of glory... Ain't none of us going to look exactly like Jesus. So that means that we got a lifelong journey together to attain that fullness. But glory be to God, I'm glad, I'm so glad that the text of Scripture reminds me that one day when I see him face to face and the veil is removed, I will see him for who he is. Oh, and you know what's crazy about that? And even then, it's going to take me an eternity to get to know everything about him. So what does this mean in our, in our lives? That means that has, we, we want to be asking ourselves questions like, has my pursuit of Jesus curtailed or carried on? Thirdly, the church grows deeper together because of the grounding Jesus gives. Verse 14, so the continued pursuit of Jesus through the preaching and teaching ministry of a local church provides an anchor in a sea of confusion. What? Verse 14, so what? why do we have the preaching and teaching ministry? So we will be equipped, so we will be built up, so we can look more like Jesus. Why? So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Beloved, I wish I had enough time to unpack all of that, but what? understand this. What is doctrine? What is that, that's the key. What is doctrine? And at its fundamental core, doctrine is that which is taught. It, it could be any organization that you have your doctrinal statement, that you have these, these basic fundamental beliefs that everything else is built upon, right? So when he's saying carried along by every wind of doctrine, the church ain't the only place that got doctrine, y'all. You know, Satan got some doctrine of his own, and it's predicated on lying about everything about God. The world has a doctrine unto itself. Uh, some of our family members have our own doctrine to ourselves. We have some of our own doctrine to ourselves. 
these fundamental beliefs that's built upon something. So it's, it's, it's not the doctrine that's the issue. It's what is your doctrine built upon? Is your doctrine built upon the solid rock of Jesus' word? Or is your, your doctrine built upon the fleeting pleasures of this world? You know, because doctrine is like a fad diet. I've been dieting all my life. I don't been on so many different diets. And like a fad diet come and you get the books and you get the pamphlets and you sign up and you learn everything about their doctrine or how to eat. And then you follow that and you might get some results. And then like a few months later, like all the books still stacked up. You ain't even thinking about it. You got all the bread and pizza back. It's like saying like ain't nothing happening. Susie Q's and all, all, y'all, y'all remember Susie Q's? All, like, all the Twinkies and every, like, everything just in your pantry again. And then the next fad diet comes. This time, you can eat all the bread you want, but don't eat no meat. And then the next one says, you can eat all the meat you want, but no bread. And then it keeps changing. You should only eat fish. And then just, just the stuff that come out of the sea. Like, and we latch on to all these different doctrines, right? And we, and we don't even think about it. It's just like, oh, that look good. Maybe I should try that. Beloved, don't you know that the world has doctrines itself, and we're looking at it, oh, that look good. Maybe I should try it. Maybe I should be able to identify myself as however I want to be. Maybe I'm able to uh, come up with my own rule system of, of, of how I'm going to govern. Or maybe I, 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 I decide to treat certain people one way and the other and just make it right. This is the hold of false teaching and various religions, philosophies, human identity and sexuality. The world has its doctrines. See, but I like what he says in the text to the church. He says, so that we may no longer be children. So at some point, we were all tossed to and fro by the doctrine. And you may be being tossed to and fro even today. But when the preaching and teaching of God's word hits you and, and, and the Holy Spirit gives life and you begin to understand God's blueprint for life and his desires for your life, then you can say no longer. And, and when you say no longer, I'm reminded about what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 6, right? And he says, and such were some of you. But something happened. (laughs) You came in contact with something that was so good that your entire life changed. Such were some of you in the alleys, at the club, and such were some of you. Uh, uh, And and he says, but the blood of Jesus came in and you were washed. And you were sanctified and you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the doctrine that we stand upon. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the only name under heaven given amongst men by which we must be saved, the only verse that says, if thou confess that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. That's what our doctrine stands upon. But here's the application. Most times we don't realize when we are adrift. We don't even notice that we don't have the necessary relationships in place 
where others can even let you know that you're drifting. You live in a way that's so insulated, people can't even contact you to tell you you drifted. But even more so than that, even if you are in contact with folk, if somebody was to tell you you drifting, would you listen? That's what's most important. Do you have the type of relationships established that you would humbly listen to someone who told you you were drifting? Or are you the type of, folk, or type of person that you, you just know it all anyway? Church grows deeper together because of the grounding Jesus gives through the proclamation and teaching. And lastly, the church grows deeper together because of the grace Jesus gives, right? So that's because in verse 15, rather, instead of being tossed to and fro because of all these false doctrines and human cunning, rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who was the head into Christ from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which is equipped when each part is working properly makes the body grow that it builds itself up in love. The grace of God's word has the power to change. So What Paul is saying here, rather speaking the truth in love, he's not saying that you become a sin critic and you're looking around for everyone else to correct them. Well, I'm I'm just telling the truth. No, what this actually means, he says, speaking the truth in love, he is saying the atmosphere amongst you should be one in which the good news of the gospel is permeating every fabric and fiber of your being. It's just in the place. That the word of God is so thick up in here that, that we, when we come in contact with it, the truth of God's word, what, the grace that comes through it will bring a change about us. Like I speak, our speech should be so full of scripture that people will learn portions of the Bible just from your life. Our speech should should be so edifying that people actually look forward to walking through those doors because they know they're not going to get, where you been? I ain't seen you in a million Sundays. But, it, but you're going to be like, oh, it's so good to see. Has God's grace been keeping you? How can I be praying for you? Just a winsome atmosphere because we're speaking the truth in love. Love hopes all things, believes all things. Everything else is going to pass away. But love not. Love will not pass away. That is the grace that he gives when we're speaking the word with one another and over one another. When, when, and, and, and then he says, when each part is working properly, this goes back to our collective 
and individual responsibilities. Like that volleyball court, six players. All it takes is one player to get it wrong. But when we get it right, when each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So when I, when I get to loving you right, and you start loving me right, and we start loving them right, and they start loving us right, it's like a mound of love just being built up. Jesus is the cornerstone, and we're going higher and higher because the word is being preached, the word is being taught, people are receiving the word, they're no longer being tossed to and fro. They have a firm foundation like the psalmist says in Psalm 1 about the tree that's planted by flowing streams of water. And we're receiving the word. And I begin to treat you right. And you begin to treat me right. And we stop backbiting and talking about one another. And that love just keeps on stacking up and going higher and higher because everyone's doing their part. And when you look up, we're going to be a, just a glow for Jesus in this community. So the question we ask ourselves is, am I doing my part to cultivate a culture of love? Here's the challenge. Jesus has sovereignly chosen to work through his church to redeem humanity to himself. We can't do it by ourselves, our own individual ministry. We may have outworkings, but, but that's not the end goal. It's all of us working together. So, so hear what I'm saying. You cannot fully fulfill your purpose without the preaching and teaching ministry of the local church. You can't fulfill your purpose if you ain't got a pastor. You cannot fully fulfill your purpose without the continual encouragement and care of the local church. I might get in trouble with this one, but a Christian who is not serving their local church is not fully serving the purposes of Christ Jesus. Jesus has gifted you to be a gift to me. So as a church, we seek to be unified in our philosophy, enhanced by our diversity, set apart by our maturity. You have a part to play. What is it? You know, to play sports, it requires some type of talent. But to be a faithful Christian, it requires grace. And we know because we are pursuing the fullness of Christ that we haven't made it yet. And we know even though we want to do the best, we won't always do our best. And we know there's going to be times where we fall and where we fail. 
there's going to be times where I say things that hurt your feelings or you say things that hurts my feelings. There's going to be times where we just sin. This is why all of this requires grace. It would never be because of our power or our strength. Jesus says his power is perfected in our weakness. And he says when we are weak, he is strong. That's grace. That's grace. So so we run to Jesus and we look to him because he fully fulfilled all of this. And we say, and we, we just ask, we ask him. He says, you have not because you ask not. And we humbly, humble yourself before Jesus and ask, Lord, please produce in me the desire to continually seek your face. I can't do it. Humble yourself before Jesus and ask, please help me to hear and believe your voice over every other voice I hear. And you humble yourself by grace. God's riches at Christ's expense that has been given to you through the shed blood of Jesus. We ask King Jesus, please help me to love your people in such a way that I pursue the unity of faith together with them. Because I can't do it. And when we humble ourselves before Jesus, He has a way of opening up a fountain filled with grace that begins not to pour over our bodies, but begins to pour over our souls. And that grace is able to transform us. That grace is able to to help us to take our eyes off ourselves and to place them on King Jesus and what he would have us to do, not what I want to do. This fountain pours out when you confess, Lord, I'm sorry for living for myself, and I want to live for you, and I want to stand upon that firm foundation that Jesus Christ is Lord. You will grow up in your faith as we each grow deeper in our faith together. Growing deeper together in 2022. Why don't you pray with me? Father, thank you for your word and the goodness of your word. Thank you for the truths that are found in your word. Thank you for the correction found in your word. Thank you for the direction found in your word. Thank you for the encouragement found in your word. And thank you for the unity that comes through your word. And Father, please make us here at Forest Baptist Church united in our diversity for your glory. Father, thank you. Thank you for the gift of Jesus the Christ. For your glory and namesake, we do pray. Amen. Beloved, how will you respond 
to Jesus' invitation to grace. We enter in to that fountain filled with grace 